Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Uncommon by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we know you're here. Yes, yes we do. We know that you're always speaking. Yes. I pray that every ear would be opened to hear the voice of God, that our eyes would be opened to see more of you we ask this morning, your word does not return void, but like the snow and the rain, it soaks in. And so I pray today that your word would soak in to thirsty hearts and to hungry hearts. We're thirsty for more of you, God. We're hungry for more of you. Only you can satisfy. Lord, we thank you in your wonderful name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, you'd like to meet me in Malachi, well, Malachi chapter 1, but we're kind of going to do a F11 flyover of the book of Malachi. We could spend a long time in the book of Malachi. I, uh, I uh, have no ambitions whatsoever to climb any mountains, but I am intrigued uh, by those that are mount, mountaineers. And I've watched a lot of documentaries on guys and ladies that have climbed Mount Everest. And I've noticed something about their language and I've noticed something about their life. Uh, you see, when they're talking about Mount Everest, uh, the pursuit for the summit of Mount Everest consumes all of their life. I thought it was just amazing. Uh, their whole life is in training and in preparation and, and, and they get three quarters of the way up and then they cheat and get the rest of the way with oxygen, right? Uh, the, the real mountaineers get there without oxygen. But I've also noticed in their speech, do you know if you go to the Himalayas, and I haven't been there, but if you do go uh, to the Himalayas, uh, Mount Everest is one of many, many mountains at the Himalayas. But when you speak or listen to these guys, you hear something in their speech, Mount Everest is not just another mountain for these guys. Mount Everest is not another mountain, it is the mountain. The book of Malachi, a little bit of context in a moment, but the book of Malachi was written to the people of God at a time when God had become like every other mountain. He had become common. We're going to unpack what that means, but today I'd like to declare that God is uncommon. He's not ordinary. Uh, I have a prop this morning, which I specifically prepared. Everybody see this here? Now, I haven't named this doll. Uh, we have prayer lines and deliverance, deliverance tanks for people that, for men that name dolls. But it's interesting, you know, here's this doll here. I could drop this doll on the ground and all of you are like, I don't really care. Uh, I could pick this doll. This doll doesn't have any name. It doesn't have anybody that it belongs to. I could, uh, I could grab hold of this doll and say, oh, I want to pass this to Rob. So I'll pass it to Rob. If you start stroking it, we're going to call the intercessors. <laughs> but right then I just threw that doll, dropped it on the ground. Nobody really cares. Looks like a baby, right? But if I was holding a real baby in my arms and I dropped that baby or if I handballed it to Rob... We would be horrified. Why? Because of the value that lies in these precious little babies. And I'm going I'm to keep bragging on the Supreme Court in the United States for as long as I can. Uh, because uh, there was a huge spiritual shift 
And what they began to do was say, you know what, these laws are silly. These wonderful, beautiful creations ought to be cherished. But if I was holding a baby, I wouldn't handball the baby, I wouldn't drop the baby. I would be very, very careful. Why? It completely changes my behaviour because of the value the baby has and holds and the reverence and the respect we have for babies. We don't care what we do with dolls. I've noticed it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my present to you, Rob. That's... And today, God is no doll. And he must captivate our hearts in the same way. And I believe in many ways the spiritual climate amongst God's people today can be very similar perhaps to what we see in the days of Malachi. For those that have turned to the book of Malachi, we might ask ourselves the question, who is this weird little dude? Only four chapters of Malachi, but very, very powerful four chapters. A couple of things we need to cover off as we make our way through. The book of Malachi is not a book about tithing. I know many times we open the book of Malachi and everybody turns to chapter three and and starts banging on about tithing, but that's not what this book is about. It speaks about offerings because what it wants to do is use an outward example of an inward problem. And the problem wasn't money and the problem isn't whether it's 10%, 15%, 5% or 50%. The problem is you need to be giving God your first and your best. That's the message of Malachi. And money is a part of that. But you see, Malachi, we don't have any biographical, uh, in the Bible, we don't have any biographical information about Malachi. But we learn a few things about Malachi from Jewish tradition. A few things like uh, he prophesied at the time uh, of Zechariah and Haggai. Uh, Now, Malachi prophesies to a post-exilic Israel. They've come back from exile. There's still some that are dispersed about, but they've come back some hundred years after they've come back. The the temple's been rebuilt, the walls have been rebuilt, but Israel has failed to learn its lessons of exile and have regressed and drifted back to where they were before they went into exile. And what we know of Malachi from Jewish tradition is that uh, both he Haggai and Zechariah were three prominent men informing something that they called the Great Synagogue. And the Great Synagogue was a group of Israelite leaders and Jewish leaders that were all about protecting and preserving Scripture and how it plays out in the lives. And it's actually the birthplace of the Pharisees. So Pharisees started out well. They just drifted to a very legalistic and dry place, but they started out well. Jewish tradition tells us that when Haggai, Malachi and Zechariah died, they all say the Holy Spirit left Israel. Yeah. And in, a, in respect, it kind of may have looked like that because there's no prophetic utterance for 400 years until John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist, interestingly enough, he asks the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, no, no. You go to the palace for that. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A guy eating locusts, dressed in camel hair and drinking kale juice. You went out to see a prophet. 
And Malachi has a description of a spiritual climate. And I think this is a silly question, but who here would like to be closer to God? I think all of us would like to be closer to God. Many of us, if you want to speak in mountain terms, many of us, so, so sadly, many of us never leave base camp. Because, because we never catch a glimpse of who it is that occupies the top of the mountain. You see, you couldn't keep Moses at, at base camp, but you couldn't get the Israelites to go up. And Scripture is clear in the book of Leviticus. Wonderful book. Uh, anybody ever heard the phrase, we teach people how to treat us? Well, God did that with the book of Leviticus. And so what Leviticus highlights is two things. Firstly, God is a holy, holy, holy God. Secondly, there is a way that you treat him. And if you read through all the ordinances of what happens in Leviticus, you know, the priests had to touch their right thumb, into, dip it into the blood, touch their left. Everything was, everything, this is how you treat God. This is how you behave before him. We get to chapter 10 and two guys think, you know what? God's spent nine chapters telling us how to worship and how to do things. We get to chapter 10, two guys, Aaron's sons, decide, you know what? We're going to do things our way. We're going to light strange fire. And you know what they did necessarily wasn't overly the big problem, but it was how they treated God and what they thought of God that was the problem. And fire came out from the altar and consumed them. And God said this, for those who will be near me, is that you this morning? Do you want to get closer to God? For those that will be near me, I will be respected, I will be reverenced, I will be feared. I ask the question today, where is the fear of the Lord and the reverence of the Lord amongst his house today? When I was reading through the chapters of Malachi, God did a number on me as well. I'm like, Lord, we've lost this. But what was the problem? Let's ask that question. Let's ask the question, what was the problem? And what is the remedy? And today, if you're sitting here going, you know what, I want to be closer to God, then not only are we going to describe what that looks like, but we're going to describe how you can do that today. But first, I wonder whether Malachi could be possibly speaking to many of us today. You see, they had three major areas that Malachi makes his appeal. He makes his appeal for a return to a right understanding of God. We're going to cover that off in a moment. He makes an appeal to right worship. We'll get there. And he makes an appeal for right relationships, both horizontally and vertically. So let's let's have a look briefly at what it was that Malachi said. The oracle of the word of the Lord, verse 1, chapter 1, to Israel by Malachi. And that word oracle is a really interesting word, and it's one that I begin to identify with because the best way to describe the word oracle is burden. This isn't just a word right here and right now. This is a burden. This is a cloak that the Lord has placed around Malachi that he lives under. It's a heaviness and it's a weight that he lives under. And he lives under the weight of the spiritual condition of the people at this point in time. He says, he begins with, I have loved you, says the Lord. Rhetorical now, but you say, how have you loved us? A right understanding of God begins with these words. God loves you. God gives them an example, which sometimes we misunderstand. 
He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, but yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, or better, framed as rejected. (coughs) And so many people get caught up in, oh, what a horrible God that he rejected Esau, but don't forget, Esau rejected God first. He despised the covenant, he despised the blessings. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country. Speaking of Edom and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. The question is, as we begin to understand God, we need to understand a few things. Great is God beyond the borders of this place. Great is God wherever you are. Great is God. But we need to understand that God loves us. And we have the example or the analogy of Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the firstborn. He should have inherited the birthright. He should have obtained the blessing. He should have entered into a covenant relationship with God. So what is God telling us? I have formed a relationship with you. I have loved you and set my affection on you. Not because you deserve it, but because I am God and I love you. Love you. Every one of us in this room are Jacob. None of us deserve God to reach out to us in his love. None of us deserve God. We ask the wrong question. We shouldn't be asking, why did God reject Esau? We should be asking God, how on earth could you love Jacob? Nobody in this room this morning saved themselves. Paul says, I was found of him. God found me. I desire, like all of us here, I desire for the greatness of God to be brought back into his house. You know, when I played football, uh, when I was on the field, well, depending on what team I was on, when I was on the field, you know, 16 or 17 other blokes had my back when I was on the field. They better have done, otherwise they're in trouble when we got off the field. Do you know if I didn't turn up to training or turn up to a game for a couple of weeks, somebody picked the phone up? So I ask you the question today, what is different from church to a football club? It is the presence of the almighty God. That is the the difference, that we taste and we see, we, we sit at his banqueting table. And I believe God is waiting for us. I believe so many people pray like we're waiting for God, but God is waiting for us. And if we are ready today, God is waiting for us to make a move towards him. Let's read on to what the problem is. A son honours his father. It's the only time in the Old Testament, one other brief mention, but this referencing God in the Old Testament as as father is not a common thing. But Malachi says, you need a right understanding of who I am. I'm not some belligerent old fool upstairs that wants to beat you over the head every time you do something wrong. I am your father. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If then I am your father, where is my honour? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. And we may sit here and go, well, okay, uh, how is it that we treat God like he's common? How is it that we might treat him like he's common? They're asking that question. You say, how have we despised your name? Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have you polluted me? That word pollution there speaks about 
something that has been tainted or something that has been throughout the process has somewhere been tarnished or tainted and has become blemished in some way. Here's, here's one way to understand what this would look like. Imagine you're sitting in a restaurant and you order uh, the chicken breast. Well, imagine that the chef just chucks it in and out of the pan very quickly. He doesn't chuck any seasoning on it, doesn't even give it uh, any care or attention. He's dropped it on the floor four times between the fridge and the frying pan. I've worked in, uh, by the way, I've worked in kitchens. God bless you. I, I, we would need prayer if I told you. And then he, then he brings you about this chicken that's seen four times on the floor and he brings it out and chucks it on the table and it's still raw. God says, you've polluted my offerings. What does that spell? It spells carelessness. They had developed a... Malachi speaks to a people that are sceptical of God's love and have become careless in worship. But I ask you a question today as we're working our way through these verses, what, what is it that we bring to God as a sacrifice and an offering now? Hold on to that thought for a moment. You despise my name, but say, so how have you despised my name? This is, this is the only time in Scripture where I find God saying, you know what, shut church. We'll get to that in a moment. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favour, says the Lord of hosts? What, what is he saying? Firstly, you're bringing polluted, <laughs> blemished uh, offerings to me. And then what are you doing? You're bringing me your blind and lame animals. Maybe we sit here and go, well, what's the problem anyway? They're only, they're only for the sacrifice, aren't they? They're, uh, they're only going to die anyway. Why not just bring those that are already depleted and, and, and rubbish anyway? Why not just bring that? Because it's the heart behind and the heart behind it says you know what God you're worth my seconds you're worth my leftovers I'll, I'll bring you what I've got left over and we expect God to shower his blessing and favour on us. We, we come in here and say, we'll bring you our leftovers in our time, God. We'll, we'll give you whatever time I've got left and, and this flows into our money as well. It's kind of like, you know what, God, I'll pay all of my bills and, and I'll feed the cat, but then I'll give you what I've got left. God says, keep your seconds, friends. The message of Malachi is the same message that Jesus brought. It must be your first and it must be your best. Because I'm preaching today and because I have the microphone, I have the authority to be able to say things like, if you wake up Sunday morning and you have more than one option of what you're doing with your Sunday morning, is there not a problem? Why are we even having an inner debate of a Sunday morning, whether we go to church or whether we go to the beach? Why are we booking in birthday parties at half past nine, ten o'clock on a Sunday morning? Why are we doing that? What are you telling God when you do that? What are you telling God when you say, you know what, I'm so busy, I can't get up early enough to read your word. I can't come to the prayer meetings. What, you want God to shower a blessing on us? 
God says, you leave your blind lambs where they were. Let's see what God says. Let's... And hit home and now entreat the favour of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favour to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? We, do we prepare our taxes more diligently than we do what we're going to give to God? Verse 10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. What's God saying? If you want to play church, shut the doors. If you want to put your spiritual makeup on every Sunday and drift in and out of here and be the same person on Monday, close the doors. Recently, a national survey was released and everybody's going, you know what, the church is declining, the church is shrinking. I've got some good news for you this morning. Uh, the church is neither declining or shrinking, it is refining. Uh, depending on where you are on the planet today, you wouldn't say the church is shrinking. Go to Iran. Church isn't shrinking in Iran. It's going gangbusters. The church is not shrinking in China, would you believe? It's going gangbusters. Different heart. Different heart. Go to the Philippines. Going gangbusters. We've had photos of our sister church in the Philippines. They get a typhoon, they get flooded. Next photo is they're standing in shin-deep water worshipping God on a Sunday morning. You can't keep these guys out of church. Yeah, we wake up in the morning and it's raining and we don't want to get wet and cold, so you know what, we'll just... I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble this morning. So it's only the depth, Pastor. It's only the depth. But what... Hey, listen, if you don't turn up to church, it doesn't hurt me. If you're missing life groups and prayer meetings and all those things, you're not sending a message to me. But I ask you, what message are you sending to God? He says, oh, that there were one among you that would shut the doors. You know what, if you want to play church, close the doors and go home. The National Survey has indicated... Accordingly, that from last year, it was something like 53%. This year, it's dropped to something like 46% that identify as Christian. And so everybody says the church is shrinking. I say refining for one reason. Even those that are doing the surveys are saying, you know what? What we're finding is the trend is that those that have always just ticked the Christian box. Yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. Yeah, yeah, my mum and dad were Christian. Yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. Yeah, I believe God and, uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. They finally got to the point where they went, you know what? I haven't been to church in years. I go Christmas and Easter, but this really isn't me, so I'm not going to say that I believe this anymore. And I'm thankful for that because at least we can reach them now. When you say, actually, I'm lost and blind like everybody else, we can reach you with the truth of the gospel. When you say you see, but yet you are blind, and so is the church really declining or is God refining? And according to what I see across the demographic of church, COVID has been a wonderful tool in God's hands in many ways to bring refining to his church. And we need refining. We, I need refining. I don't know about you guys, but I need refining. We're going to cover that before we leave the book of Malachi today, but I need refining. I need a God just to come and burn some stuff up in my life. Burn all the cat pictures on the wall. And... <laughs> Can we have the intercessors to the front, please? <laughs> 
verse 11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name. Incense, it's, it speaks of our prayers and our praise before God. It'll be offered to my name. And Jeremiah, before they went in exile, these guys haven't learnt anything. You want to know why? Before they went into exile, Jeremiah's prophesying on the steps of the temple, really bold by the way, age 12, and he's prophesying to the king to repent. <laughs> Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. But he's on the he's on the steps of the temple going, you guys are out here in all the right clothes, doing all the right things, but your idols are behind the curtain. God left a long time ago and you haven't learnt in all these years. But I wonder, two and a half, almost two and a half thousand years since Malachi, have we learnt anything? Lord, have mercy on us. How dare we do anything that doesn't bring you glory, Lord God? How, how dare we be offensive? It's why I get a bugbear about people that occupy pulpits and other positions of authority and treat this like it's a book you put on the shelf. Like it's an Eden Blyden or a Mills and Boone. I'll show my age with the Mills and Boones one, right? <laughs> There's something very sacred about this and it should be treated like it's sacred. It's not something that you can use just to back up what you want to say. It's something that God has said to us. It's sacred. And we should treat it like it's sacred. Malachi goes on, he says, verse 12, but you profane my name when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. Verse 13, but you say, what a weariness this is. When did God become boring? What a weariness this is. Going through the motions. And you snorted it, or in our language, you turn your nose up at it. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame and sick, and this you bring as your offering. We've covered, we've covered a, a misunderstanding about who God is. We've had a look at what's wrong with worship. Now there's something wrong with relationships. And as the people of God, we've got to get this. You see, by the time we get down to chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? What Malachi is saying, aren't we all the people of God? Didn't God create all of us? Don't we all have the one Father? But you're being faithless. That word faithless means to deal treacherously with. It is time for the people of God to stop dealing treacherously with one another. We want God to bless us. We want God to come near us. But every, but every week we're tearing each other apart, pulling our hair out, scratching our eyes out. We don't talk to that person over there because they said something that offended us ages ago. We don't talk to that person over there because well, we don't know whether we really like them. You haven't been called to like anybody. You've been told and commanded to love everybody. What a challenge that is. It's a choice. We love first and the emotions catch up. We're always waiting for the emotions. Well, you know, when I feel it, I'm like, no, 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 no. You love as a choice first. Our brother James, who was a very black and white uh, speaker of the New Testament, our brother James says, you know what? Uh, love covers over a multitude of sins or in the Greek covers a multitude of offences. It's kind of like when you're in a family situation, you know, when you're in the family, you all love each other so much, the little things that annoy you about each other, you don't scratch each other's eyes out and pull each other's hair. 
apart from my sons. That's why I keep my hair short. It's harder to get a fistful of it. But listen, for a moment, friends, can I tell you that love is a choice? Can I tell you that offence is also a choice? You choose to sit in offence. And you can choose to be released of it today. The greatest evangelistic tool we have, Jesus gave to us by this. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We need to love one another. Coming down to chapter 3. Verse 17, these are words speaking about John the Baptist. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Keep reading by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? So many today are asking, where is God? For those that read the pastor's comments this morning, we're all about demonstrations, aren't we? The world is waiting for a demonstration of God and it will be found in us as his people. Chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, speaking of John the Baptist, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and he did. See, we want the presence of God, don't we? Lord, we want you in the house, we want your presence, but what I find in the Gospels is Jesus came to the temple. And when the presence of Jesus arrived at the temple, he did something dramatic and radical. He started turning tables over, he made a whip of cords, and he drove out the money changers. I ask you, do you want the presence of God? Because if he's coming to knock on your door, he's coming to turn up tables and run out the money changers. And what they were doing in the temple wasn't necessarily wrong. In fact, it was necessary, but not in the temple. It was a Passover feast. We needed money changers to exchange currency so you could buy animals and offer your sacrifice. We needed animals because people travelled a long distance to be able to come to the Passover and they needed to be able to purchase animals and change their money. But you needed to do it outside the gates of the city, not on the temple steps. It was convenient to do it on the steps of the... Well, while you're on your way, why don't you just pick up an animal and change your money here? And the inflation... The inflation was through the roof. Well, seeing how you're here, we're going to make an opportunistic moment of this and we're going to make some money out of this. What does that say about God's house? Jesus says, my house, speaking of the words from the Old Testament, will be a house of prayer. Get this rubbish out. I'm going to ask Stu if he can come and play as we bring this to a close this morning. We ask ourselves the question... Lord, how do we, what does this look like and how do we do this? My favourite verse, one of my favourite verses in the New Testament is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And what he says, first of all, is he says, honour or sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart as holy. And to sanctify something means you set it apart. It means you, you intentionally take an object and you set it apart. God is sanctifying you right now, setting you apart. Wait for the Exodus series because that's what it's all about, drawing us out that he may draw us in. 
But when you sanctify something as holy, what you're doing is you're setting it apart, but you're taking it from what is the ordinary and the common and you are placing it to the very special and the honoured place in your heart. You see, the people of God in Malachi's time, God had become common. God had become an addition. God had become a mathematical formula for how we can have success in life and and God won't be a mathematical formula. Jesus, Jesus plus nothing equals everything for the mathematicians here this morning. But Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And so the call to the people of Israel through the book of Malachi and the call today, I make my appeal to every one of us sitting in this room today. Will you take God from the very common and the very ordinary place in your life? Will you stop giving God your second best? Will you shut off the avenues of pollution? By the time we roll in here, we're, we're, we're so dirty, stained and filthy from the world because we're opening ourselves to all the channels of pollution. You may need to have a look at the music you're listening to. You may need to take stock of the, of the movies you're watching. You may need to take stock of what you're doing with social media. Because somewhere along the line, there's a monkey on the line somewhere and we're coming in stained and blemished and asking God to shower His blessing and presence upon us. For anybody that's had boys, and when they come from outside to the inside and they want a hug and they're all filthy, that's like a shower. Maybe, maybe God has been getting our second best for far too long. Maybe we've got our leftovers. Maybe it's, well, you know what? If I've got time this, Lord, this week, Lord, I'll make it to church. If I've got time this week, I'll... Oh, you don't know my calendar and you don't know my schedule. I guarantee you have time for God, but I guarantee you're going to have to intentionally make time for God. What does right worship look like? What does, what does it look like today to move God in our lives from here to here? You can do this today. And everything that we have a look at, everything that Malachi calls out, everything that Jesus addresses in the Gospels, or everything on the outside is just a symptom of an inward problem, an inward root problem, and that is how we view God. A.W. Tozer says, whatever comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. But I love the Apostle Paul because he gave us this answer. In one of the greatest epistles written, which is the Gospel, from front to back is the book of Romans. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And what what Paul has done for 11 chapters, he has unpacked the wonderful mercies of God in the gospel, unpacked how you can be a part of that, uh, unpacked how, how faith in Christ alone grace alone. He's even put some brackets in there and said, you know what? We're not even going to forget those Jewish Israelite guys. It's all about God hasn't forsaken them or forgotten them. In fact, he's fulfilling his covenant with them. That's what the brackets are all about. And after he's unpacked the wonderful, beautiful mercies of God, he says, now this is what your response should look like. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present. You have to do something here. 
You have to present. You don't sit down waiting for God to zap you. You have to intentionally present what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice. But because we're living, we jump on and off. We get on the altar and then someone ticks us off so we get off for a moment and then we get back on the altar and then someone ticks us off and we get off for a moment and then we get back on the altar. Paul says, present your bodies, present everything you do to God as a living sacrifice and you can do that today. What should this sacrifice look like? Holy, holy, that is unique, that is sacred, that is unblemished. Present holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual act of worship. You see, worship is more than five songs on a Sunday. Worship's a posture of life. Worship's about Monday. Worship's about Wednesday. Worship's how you view God and how you treat Him. Let's finish off these two verses because they're awesome. It's your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis, butterfly, caterpillar type of scenario there. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Do not be conformed to this world. Wherever you are today, you might be sitting here going, you know what, I've ran so far away from God, I'm a million steps from Him. You are only ever one step from God, and that is the step where you turn around and you come back. Coming back to our brother Malachi in chapter 3, he says, But who can endure the day of His coming, and who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire. The refiner's fire, or the smelter's fire, was the fire that you used to purify precious metals. And, and what happens is you turn up the heat, and all of the rubbish and impurities float to the top, and then you skim them off the top. And, and He goes on and says, He's like a refiner's fire, and like full of soap. And, and full of soap can be a reference to washing clothes, but they use full of soap after the, the refiner's fire to remove the dross. I firmly believe that COVID has been a tool in God's hand to turn the heat up on the church. Because he's purifying his church. He's refining his church. And she's beautiful. We're all broken vessels, friends. We all have weaknesses. We all have cracks. We all have fault lines. But God is preparing himself a bride. You're part of it and she's beautiful. Today it would be remiss of me to not give you the opportunity to say, Lord, I want to get back on that altar. Lord, I, I want you to turn the heat up in my life. Be careful praying that prayer. Because he'll turn the heat up. It just won't look, as, it won't look like what you think it looks like. time for the church of Jesus Christ to put God back in his rightful place 
watch what he does when he occupies the number one place. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.